Welcome to I Dry Needle to the Point. Today we talk acupuncture and dry needling with Doctor of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, Scott Richardson. Welcome back, folks. This is I Dry Needle to the Point uh, podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kaloran. Um, and if you haven't joined before, I'll give my myself a full introduction um, because I think this episode, this topic is going to attract uh, professionals or even just an audience that probably wouldn't otherwise be here. So my full introduction, I guess, if you will, is I'm a physical therapist. Uh, I've been a dry needling educator since 2014, lead faculty for Kineticor, which is now Evidence in Motion. Uh, and I'm one of the founders and current president of I Dry Needle. Um, and not to just uh, give qualifications for myself, but really I think valuable to introduce myself uh, because we're going to have this discussion, acupuncture and dry needling. It's, it's a hot topic. It's a topic that comes with much professional friction. And honestly, it gets, uh, it gets combative at times. I mean, it's a very emotional topic for both sides. Um, and I've had this discussion many, many times, uh, but never on the platform of a podcast. Uh, it's it's been on social media. It's been in Department of Health hearings and legislative committees uh, in almost every other legal and professional fashion. Um, but honestly, I think the first step to uh, just some type of future, but uh, and uh, trying to like the camarade, not camaraderie, not the word. Like if they can never come on a come together on agree to disagree level, I think it has to start with just a. A professional discussion, just sitting down with uh, qualified practitioners, clinicians, to just to talk through um, certain points of this conversation. So hopefully, that introduction gives you my bias. I mean, I'm on the physical therapy, the dry needling side, um, and to have this discussion, I wanted uh, a qualified practitioner uh, or educator or professional on the other side to have that discussion. So again, honestly. For how many times this conversation's been had, um, I really appreciate the gesture and just I really think it's a, a classy move to, for my guest to actually come on today and have this discussion. Um, and I'll let him introduce himself, but our guest today to have this discussion, the dry needling versus acupuncture debate or uh, conversation, we'll call it, because I do think we're going to keep this as respectful and professional and just agree to disagree as possible. Uh, is Dr. Scott Richardson, uh, who is a doctor of acupuncture and oriental medicine. Uh, he's in Colorado. He actually owns uh, Denver Acupuncture and Sports Medicine. But Scott, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much for uh, being willing to come on. But how about you introduce yourself to the audience? All right. Thank you, Paul. And, and again, thank you for having me here. I, I totally agree that uh, we need to start having more of these types of discussions where we can just give our opinions from different sides. Um, we are not gonna agree on every point, but being able to have those discussions and, and to have them respectfully, um, again, I really appreciate uh, that opportunity. Um, so to give you a little bit about my background, um, I have been uh, licensed as an acupuncturist, practicing acupuncture since 2007. Um, my initial education, um, I went through a four-year graduate program in San Diego uh, from Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. 
Um, and that allowed me to become licensed as an acupuncturist. And then I practiced for a few years and then I did an additional two years of postgraduate study um, and that earned me my doctorate of acupuncture. Um, I am originally from Michigan. I chose San Diego specifically because of its emphasis within sports medicine and specifically anatomy and physiology. Um, the school that I went to has an agreement with UCSD. And so during our clinical internships, we would be able to go to UCSD, work on their student athletes, um, and then also had a lot of different um, externship clinics available um, that allowed me to work more with sports medicines and athletes, which is where my passion lies. Um, I have been in Colorado since 2012. Um, during that time, I have volunteered on our state acupuncture board. Um, I've been the vice president and I have been uh, the legislative chair. Um, I have been familiar with our state as they kind of went through that dry needling process uh, to get uh, the physical therapy, to get dry needling specifically within their scope of practice. Um, and so had many discussions at the state level um, regarding that as well. Um, but, uh, and uh, mentioned this as well, um, I actually work in a clinic with a physical therapist who does dry needling, has gone through uh, dry needling one and dry needling two. We've had this discussion many times um, and we're able to cohabitate <laughs> with our clinic. So it is uh, possible. Again, excited to be here and uh, excited to, to have this discussion today. Excellent. Yeah. And I really appreciate your experience. Um, not even just the, the years and the um, thoroughness of your training, but uh, I personally do like kind of the sports medicine aspect. Those are the conversations I have. It's kind of the realm I live in as well. So uh, I do appreciate that experience as well. And again, just the willingness to be here. Um, and full disclosure here, I mean, I do it for all of my panelists, all of my guests, but obviously for this topic, in particular, uh, I provide questions ahead of time. This is not meant to be like a, any type of hijacking interview. So when I sent over the questions to Scott, uh, I thought it was very fair that you responded with a, a question of your own. And I think it's probably the best question or the best way to introduce or to frame this topic. Because yeah, I sent over my list of questions and, and you basically said, uh, I have a question, How? what is my definition? How would I define dry needling and acupuncture. Um, and I'll ask you the same. Um, but I guess, since I do think it's a fair question, uh, I can give my answer first. Uh, and there's very short answers, there's very long answers to all of this. <laughs> um, so before I give kind of my biased, my perspective on these definitions, I thought it'd be fair just to give the, uh, not even legal, but the legislative answers, meaning, there are definitions written in each of our practice acts. And I pulled from Colorado, even though I'm not currently in Colorado, I'm licensed in Colorado, but I don't practice. Um, so the, the definition, and I'm pulling from the Physical Therapy Practice Act of Colorado, definition for dry needling as written is a physical intervention that uses filiform needles to stimulate trigger points, diagnose and treat neuromuscular pain and functional movement deficits is based upon Western medical concepts, requires an examination and diagnosis, and treats specific anatomical structures, um, which I think physical therapists would agree with that. It's kind of that generic, uh, again, a very legal, a very practice act-based answer. 
And then again, just to compare apples to apples, I have the definition of acupuncture as written by the, Ac the Colorado Acupuncture Practice Act. Uh, and that definition is acupuncture means a system of healthcare based upon traditional and modern oriental medical concepts that employs oriental methods of diagnosis, treatment, and adjunctive therapies for promotion, maintenance, restoration of health, and prevention of disease. So again, I think both sides say those are pretty agreeable definitions of what we're doing. But again, this question is fair and probably the best way to frame this conversation um, because we have to fully admit that if you take the, the ink on paper, the, the dictionary definition for dry needling, it's introducing a needle of any type without an injectate. If a wet needle is an injection, then anything that's a dry needle is non-injectable. So Janet Travell started, her pilot research was, they used to do trigger point injections in the 80s. Her pilot research said, what is the needle effect of a dry needle? And in her scenario, her research, that was a, a full bore hypodermic needle uh, in tissue. Chan Gunn started with the monofilament needle and he has, uh, he had both kind of that uh, oriental, the acupuncture background, and then he created intramuscular stimulation, which is kind of one of the foundational theories that some of the, the Western-based dry needling comes from. So I think we have to define that. And really the confusion, it, well, the confusion in my mind comes from dry needling at this point really is an umbrella term. And underneath that umbrella, there are individual techniques. Acupuncture is a form of dry needling. But to me, uh, that umbrella is not defined by a single technique underneath, meaning that umbrella is not acupuncture, the umbrella is dry needling. And underneath that, there's individual techniques, acupuncture, intramuscular stimulation, or more of the Western medical or just the sports medicine, the rehab-based use by physical therapists, chiropractors, physicians, et cetera. So that's, that's my long answer to how I define dry needling and acupuncture. Um, but yeah, Scott, I'd love to hear your answer to the same question. Sure. And um, as you mentioned, we, we kind of get into um, some difficulties when we're having these discussions. Um, you mentioned that uh, dry needling can be an umbrella term for multiple techniques, um, multiple interventions. And the way that, and specifically our state, and each state defines their practice act uh, and definitions differently, but the way that our state defines it, it allows for physical therapists to say that dry needling is not acupuncture because it does not have that same healthcare system that is uh, defined on um, uh, traditional or modern oriental concepts. Uh, the problem that we have with that definition is that we are licensed as acupuncturists, um, but in a broad umbrella term, it would be more appropriate to say practitioners of traditional East Asian medicine. Um, and within that broad, because we don't just do acupuncture, we have multiple different things that we do. We treat, there are practitioners that never do acupuncture, that only treat with you know, herbal medicine or different uh, modalities. Um, and so within that broader range of traditional East Asian medicine, acupuncture is one type or one modality. Um, and so if we were dis defining that procedure specifically, um, the definition um, that I generally like to go with is that acupuncture means the puncture of skin with a fine needle for diagnostic and therapeutic purpose. Um, and that is coming from a state's definition of acupuncture that 
uh, was defined by the Chiropractic Practice Act, since they were actually licensed uh, through a practice act to do acupuncture before we were. Um, and so when we're talking about the specific procedure of acupuncture, um, that's generally the one that I would refer to the way that I would say my personal, I would um, change out the fine needles with a, a filiform or with a FDA registered acupuncture needle. Um, uh, but uh, that's really the way that I see it is for diagnostic and therapeutic purposes. Um, now, to your point, you know, that allows for a wide range of uh, procedures. Um, you know, in that case, you know, the uh, EMG studies, you know, that would fall under the scope of acupuncture. And so I don't know if we will ever get a perfect definition for either one, but I think that most of the frustration um, that we're seeing from the acupuncture profession is that um, we're using the same instrument, we're using them at the same location, and we're using them for the same purpose. Um, when we were defining that acupuncture is both traditional and modern, we wanted that modern concepts in there because we feel that um, these new advances are part of that modern um, tradition, uh, modern concepts within traditional East Asian medicine. Uh, they do dry needling styles or techniques in China. Um, we are not just a, um, a medical or healthcare system that was established 2,000 years ago. We have continued to evolve. Um, there are numerous studies published within the National Institutes of Health. Um, and as our medicine has continued to evolve, it has included um, these type of procedures. And, you know, going in for a specific muscle, trying to get a, a fasciculation, um, that is something that I learned in my core program. And I... I thought everybody learned that in acupuncture school. I, I found out that's not the case. Um, but again, that was also something that I specifically sought out, is that uh, an acupuncture program specifically heavy within the Western sciences, anatomy, physiology, um, sports medicine field. And so um, as this debate, debate developed, again, I thought everybody had the same education. And I thought, of course, this is acupuncture. This is what I learned in school. Um, but with those definitions, again, I don't think that we are going to get a perfect definition for either one. Um, you mentioned Travel with the wet needling versus dry needling. Um, within the state of Colorado, we're allowed to do wet needling um, injections specifically. Um, and so there's been a lot of uh, requests that if you're saying that this is dry needling that came from Travel's wet needling research, then stick to the hypodermic needles. Um, of course, um, that has its own problems when we're doing that and there's no handle on hypodermic <laughs> needles, so it's going to make it much more difficult to do. Um, but uh, yeah, so I guess that would be my definition. And for dry needling, you know, I don't know that I have a specific definition outside of um, either what you said or, or what's been presented. Um, again, it was a technique that I learned in school. Um, it's a technique that's been practiced in China, and so I consider it a style or a type of acupuncture. But I don't know that I have a definition specifically for that. And I think you gave the answer. And I guess um, the follow-up question, which is really, I'll ask it, but this is the question that comes up consistently, uh, again, on social media, but even in the very formal uh, setting of legislative and legal hearings. Um, so I'll just ask you, based on that definition, based on your training, your experience, are, is dry needling by physical therapists the same as acupuncture? 
And I apologize, this is gonna be another long-winded answer. Um, I would say kind of. Um, and the reason why I'm saying that is, um, again, acupuncture as an umbrella term, there are so many different types and styles of acupuncture. You know, there's the type of acupuncture that sticks to the meridians and the points that are found on that map. Um, there are points that never utilize that map that are solely in the ear. There are um, contributions done from Korea and Japan that are significantly different than what is practiced in, in China. Uh, the French Noget acupuncture, again, that's completely ear. It, it doesn't even touch the muscles in the body. Um, and so when using an umbrella term of is dry needling acupuncture, um, you know, the American Medical Association said procedurally they're indistinguishable. They're, they're exactly the same. And so in that aspect, I would say yes, um, but there are other types, just like with, you know, how you define dry needling. Technically, the insertion of a needle without injecting fluids, acupuncture is one type or style of dry needling, um, but it is not the only. And, and so in a long-winded answer, um, I would say uh, from our perspective, it, it's that same um, definition is that it can be considered, but it is not only that technique or style. Yeah. And I think that's fair. And I think this is where we start to respectfully disagree. Uh, like, as you said, every state in some, well, 43, 40, depending on what number you read, uh, every state has had to go back in the form of a practice act or a legal decision, kind of answer this question. Is it the same? RPT is allowed to do it is basically what legally legislatively they're trying to decide. Um, and yeah, the answer from my side of the microphone is, 40 plus states have gone back and said, it is distinct, it is unique, it's different than acupuncture. And the biggest billboard court case decision was the, the North Carolina APTA decision. Uh, long, drawn out, exhausting, expensive for both sides, um, but came down to the conclusion in North Carolina, again, that's one state that had to make this decision, um, that it was unique from acupuncture, that PTs uh, should be able to do it. And honestly, patients should have the access to this technique uh, being one of so many others, including acupuncture that they should have access to. So yeah, that's that's kind of my, my answer to it. Uh, and honestly, I kind of say similar to what you earlier said, which is yourself, or if you want to say acupuncturists as a profession, uh, you can't really limit it to putting a needle into the skin. It's one technique within the entire education, uh, philosophy, treatment model that you employ. Just as once a physical therapist is trained, they don't become a dry needler. They, they're a physical therapist that uses dry needling. So to some degree, um, we're putting this micro focus on like, uh, I'm putting a needle through the skin, you're putting a needle through the skin, but the conversation really has to look at uh, every aspect of the conversation of your education and training versus physical therapy in, in mine. Uh, and we get to this kind of topic of a single technique that honestly, um, again, in almost every, in the majority of states, in the US has been decided that it's safe and it's legal for us to do. And obviously for you to do, because acupuncturists have been doing acupuncture for a long time. Uh, and that leads right into my next question. And that is, uh, when you have this single topic, this one tool, one technique, um, that really is debated, it's controversial. Um, 
there's different uh, legal decisions, et cetera, in North Carolina, again, uh, the, just, the take home point is that tools and techniques overlapping multiple professions is common. It's, uh, there's so many examples out there and even in healthcare specifically, meaning one tool, one technique doesn't define a profession. And I think that's part of the uniqueness to this conversation is that um, maybe even in the public's eye, or very generically, acupuncture is sometimes defined as the single technique of a needle. So how do you feel that that, well, first of all, how do you feel on like uh, overlapping modalities between professions, but specifically, how do you think that kind of feeds into the thought process and the conversation of this acupuncture versus therapeutic dry needling debate? Yeah, and um, as you said, it is something that we see in multiple professions. This is not something that's unique to uh, physical therapists and dry needling. Um, and and again, you pointed it out, the, the, what makes it a little bit more accentuated or difficult here is that we are licensed as acupuncturists. Now, within our profession, that becomes an issue because we do more than acupuncture. Um, I mentioned before, um, I've, I've studied with people that are classically trained, you know, herbal medicine practitioners, and they do not do acupuncture at all, but their license says that they're an acupuncturist. Um, and in almost every state, and I, uh, as far as I'm aware of, I can't think of a state that does not license us as anything other than acupuncturist, which is defined by sticking that needle into the skin. Um, and so in that way, um, I think that's what made this a little bit more frustrating than some of these other over overlaps. You know, we, uh, we have cupping, you guys have myofascial decompression. We have washa, you guys have Graston or, or, or other similar techniques. And so it's not something that hasn't happened before, even between our two professions. Um, but then the one thing that kind of made us unique within that healthcare system or the identifying procedure of our profession is then being used. And I think that that's really what kind of got people upset. And then um, I think on the other hand is um, the discrepancy with the training, um, you know, physical therapy programs. Well, and uh, this is going to get long, but physical therapy programs, they are allowed as a first professional doctorate. And so um, generally the educations for being licensed in a state are very similar. Um, if you only want to be licensed as an acupuncturist, generally it is a three-year program. If you want to be licensed as a, or have the um, uh, education as a practitioner of traditional Asian medicine, where you do the herbs and the other modalities, it's generally a four-year program. Um, and you know those are going through um, all year round. Um, and so the qualifications are generally uh, similar. Um, when an acupuncturist previously graduated from a four-year program, they would have a master's degree physical therapists, they have a doctor. And so they have a doctor um, who is doing this needling technique, which is um, presented as being far superior than acupuncture. And then you have someone with just a graduate degree with a master's degree doing something that is generally considered inferior, unscientific, um, and basically ineffective. Uh, and with those classifications, I think that that's where a lot of practitioners got really frustrated. Not only is the identifying procedure of our profession being taken uh, away by another profession. Um, they are saying that we are inferior, despite the fact that we have, you know, a hundred times more training in that specific procedure. Um, and so I think that that has, uh, between the professional differentiations, doctor versus masters, and then 
um, some of the misinformation or how acupuncture is being presented, um, I think that that is what really furled a lot of feathers very quickly. I could definitely understand that. Honestly, I have never heard the, I mean, I personally have never uh, even viewed it or spoken of acupuncture as an in inferior treatment. Uh, I, I don't think, I, I guess I've never heard that, but I, cause I fully appreciate you have a doctorate. I'm, I'm in Washington, which it's an East Asian medicine practitioner. There's a master's and doctorate, but uh, I fully agree. I admit that you're educated, highly skilled medical professionals. I don't know if that's kind of a public view uh, that a clinical doctorate of physical therapy is now introducing needles and that seems to have a superior, superiority inferior, inferior effect. Um, and if so, I mean, I guess part of the conversation nationally is you presented it well. I mean, you have a doctorate, there's four-year training, again, highly skilled, highly educated versus physical therapy, your bachelor's doctorate, you have three-year clinical doctorate, seven years of, of education. Um, I think the one differentiating nationally, and it's come up in certain state-to-state -state battlegrounds, is the, the doctorate, or, or even in general, I don't know if there is a set um, educational standard for acupuncture nationally, meaning even licensure, not every state has acupuncture licensure. Some it's a certificate, some even less than that. So there are states where there's not a standard of education that must be met. Uh, and again, this isn't saying dry needling or physical therapy is a better profession or not. Again, I fully appreciate uh, your education as being extensive. Um, it's just that can't be said for every acupuncturist throughout the US. And I think that's, um, again, not talking superior inferior, but in certain battlegrounds when the acupuncture lobby comes at our profession with the conversation of us not being qualified, it's challenging to have that conversation when the, the educational standard, uh, honestly, you can't even compare it not saying better or worse, I'm saying we can't compare it because there's not educational standard versus educational standard. Um, and I guess if you want to respond to that, you can. I just, um, I, I fully understand someone of your your training and I guess in certain states where the, that standard uh, and training may be similar to physical therapy, uh, I understand the response or professionally, the, uh, the emotions that you felt. Yeah, and speaking to that, um, one, I have to give full credit to the physical therapists, the way that they have developed their national standards, the, their national association, having chapters with a different state. I mean, the way to have that as an effective healthcare model for practitioners is fantastic. And I wish that we had that in our profession. Our national uh, credentialing or national certification is NCCAOM. And they are required by 45, 46 states for licensure, Colorado being one of them. Um, when I went to California, um, California did its own licensing, but it also now recognizes NCCAOM. But it is educational requirements exceed that of NCCAOM requirements. Um, and when I was mentioning earlier, if you wanted a acupuncture-specific program, it is three years. Or if you wanted a diplomat of oriental medicine, uh, program that is four years that is coming from their requirements which again is recognized out of the and I apologize it's either 45 or 46 states 
um, and they are the ones that set the hours and not just total hours, but um, uh, also hours in Western medical studies. Um, they term it as biomedicine. So when I was going through school, I had to learn um, orthopedic um, evaluation exams, uh, orthopedic testing, manual muscle testing. Um, ironically, I cannot practice them because that is now considered <laughs> practicing Western medicine, but that is something that was required for me and that I was tested on um, in order to get my acupuncture license. Um, so there is a national standard, but because of the states that do not actually have an acupuncture practice act, those are the states that don't require that training for um, licensure. And, you know, generally they are a registered acupuncturist versus a licensed acupuncturist. And, mm -hmm. and again, this is our own profession's fault. We can only blame ourselves for us. Uh, Colorado, uh, we weren't a licensed uh, uh, profession until the year 2000. Again, chiropractors were licensed with the ability to do acupuncture in the state of Colorado before acupuncturists in Colorado were a licensed profession. And we have no one to blame for it but, our, but ourselves. Um, so, uh, yeah, for our training, we do have national standards um, for those states that um, require licensure for practicing. Yeah. And that's a, a nice explanation. Um, and I think, I don't know if this is a follow-up question or if we're just kind of dancing around the, the question again, which comes up commonly, uh, it seems to be most contentious, most debated on probably the most inappropriate platform, which is social media, but the common response or not to sound too abrasive, but the attack on physical therapists is, you take a 27 hour weekend course and that's your training for needling. Um, so we've kind of set the foreground as far as like, there's a requisite professional education to become a PT. There's obviously education training that allows acupuncturists to use needles. Um, and just to add a dose of like more objective data, it's the physical therapy side, but the Federation of State Boards of PT uh, commissioned a task force back in 2015. Uh, again, the Federation of State Boards, which oversees all of the individual state boards in the U.S., basically sat down. Their task was to have a definition for dry needling and basically write down all of the individual competencies that it requires to be safe with the needle. Um, I forget the exact number, but we're talking 170 plus individual competencies that that would make a physical therapist safe with a needle. Uh, once that list was created, the, the independent review said 86% of that list uh, was attained in the DPT, so in our, in our educational program. So there's that 14% training gap. I mean, I actually, as an educator for dry needling, fully advertise, fully admit that um, you shouldn't just graduate PT, uh, even with your DPT, and think that you're prepared to start using a needle. It's an, it's an invasive procedure. It has unique risk. It's an advanced skill. All of that equates to you do need advanced training, but we're talking about filling that 14% uh, skill-specific gap, like specifically using a needle, handling a needle, using it safely, um, which I guess is kind of giving my side of the story. But to ask you the same question, uh, not saying they're your words, but words of your side, the acupuncture profession out there, what is your take on just, you can speak Colorado specifically or just nationally, the, the dry needling training that PTs undergo or even are required to undergo for certain state requirements? 
Sure. And um, I think uh, generally with that, and are you referring to, and I believe it's called the, the Humro, the Humro report? Yep. Yep. That's it. Okay. Um, I think the discussions that we've had around that report were that for an acupuncturist, specifically with safely handling and doing uh, needling protocols, um, we are required to have 660 um, supervised clinical hours, meaning that we have a licensed practitioner with more than five years experience observing us doing these treatments. We have to have 660 specific to needling hours. If we're doing acupuncture and herbs, that is increased. Um, we have to have 705 didactic hours or classroom hours in learning proper needling techniques and protocols. Um, we need to you know, pass our uh, main program, and then we need to pass our um, NCCAOM boards, which include um, acupuncture for safety, treatment protocols. There's three to four different exams, depending on which route you took. Um, and then everybody must pass a Western medical biomedicine um, exam. In addition to that, we must also pass um, a clean needle technique certification. So we have to, after we finish our program, we have to go through two different independent uh, credentialing programs in order to demonstrate that we can safely handle an, a needle. And so just 13 hours outside of our whole four years, we need 1300 hours specific to handling a needle and treating patients um, safely and effectively. Um, we, and then again, those two other um, third party credentialing programs. How we view that within the physical therapy program is that you take a weekend course and obviously within your profession, um, you guys have excellent training, excellent diagnostic skills when it comes to needling specific. Um, we spend four years just learning how to do that technique safely and effectively and then have third-party credentialing. Um, after your DPT or after your program, you take three days um, and there is no third-party credentialing. There's no one outside of the instructor um, evaluating of whether you're not you're being safe whether or not you're doing this correctly. And um, for the topic of discussion, I've had people that take these courses, some of them PTs, some of them are other practitioners, um, chiropractors, athletic trainers. I know massage therapists that are trying to get into these courses. Um, and I am surprised at how often they report within the classes that needle breaks are happening. Um, mm -hmm. I have never had a needle break. And again, this is my style of technique. I go in after muscles. Uh, I'm using 75, 100, 125 millimeter needles going after piriformis glute, uh, big muscles. I bend needles regularly. I have never had a needle break. Um, I've had people take these courses and say there were three broken needles over the course of the weekend. Um, I work with an upper extremity orthopedic specialist who had to surgically remove an acupuncture needle from his patient after receiving dry needling. Um, and, and so not having that third party credentialing and then hearing these stories, um, and again, I have my biases. And so that just kind of reinforces the fact, well, is 27 hours enough for someone who has not had that much training is 27 hours enough or when they are completing their clinical evaluations without a supervisor. And um, so now we are able to do distance learning. You do not have to have somebody appropriate. You just need to document that you have seen so many patients and you have no instructor saying you're doing that right. You're not doing that right. You're too close to the rungs. You're too deep. You're going to hit the apex when you're needling trap. 
You know, these are things that over the four years are continually nailed into us. And then we still have mistakes. You know, acupunctures are not invaluable. Um, there are injuries that are happening with people that have a four-year training in needling specifically. And so when we reduce that number of training by 98%, um, that's where we get um, nervous or frustrated that, uh, you know, you're saying that you're capable at 2% of the education that we're required to have by the state. Uh, yeah, and this is where we're digging into it. I mean, the safety discussion is a big piece of it. Um, honestly, I'll give you my personal sample size. I've personally educated over 150 courses, um, have not seen a single needle break ever. I know there are reports out there. Uh, I hate to even picture what type of a technique that would require to fracture a needle. I own a dry needling company. I know how these needles are built. Um, again, in my mind, based on the data out there, based on my personal experience, needles should not be breaking. I agree with you there. Um, I think if someone saw three needles break in a single weekend, that uh, I'd love to hear what that course was and what it entailed because that um, is outside of anything I've ever heard. And I mean, even to, to not give my just personal lens on it, um, HPSO, CNA, the biggest liability insurers in the US, independent party, neutral party. I mean, they very financially need to assess risk, calculate risk within professional, the professional realm treatments. Uh, they have not seen an increase in injury since PTs have been dry needling. Uh, a statistically significant risk. I mean, again, I'm not denying uh, it's an invasive procedure. You can you can injure people with a needle, any type of needle, which, as you said, is acupuncture. It's dry needling. Um, I actually agree with you when you say we need uh, a national standard for dry needling competency. Um, I like to think the way we teach is very safe, very conservative, and risk adverse. But um, I think that needs to be a national standard, state to state, but even uh, company to company. And honestly, I think it'll come. It'll take CAPTI approval, which is the accreditation body for DPT programming. But uh, I think it will come. Um, but man, I, the fractured needle uh, or that, that high incidence of fractured needles, I guess, was a number I wasn't prepared for. But this is obviously a conversation that comes up um, a lot. And honestly, uh, if you want to read uh, Puker and Gronmeyer, uh, it's actually a large cohort retrospective analysis of adverse events for acupuncturists and not saying that again, acupuncture is more or less risky than needling. I'm just saying they have a larger sample size over the past three decades. Uh, it's a thorough analysis. If Honestly, if you want to read of the, the injuries that can occur, all of the negative things that can occur with a needle. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a great case example to read. The, the conclusion of their research after going through all of these injuries, how they occurred, how they were medically managed, their conclusion was all of them could have been avoided if the practitioners had had a better knowledge of anatomy or applied that. So I think that's valuable because um, when I say 86% of what we need to know is, is gained or attained in our physical therapy training, uh, I agree with you. Most program, well, these days DPT has very small exposure. The students have small exposure to handling a needle, but I agree with you. Like in my DPT education, 
hours of handling needles was not in there. But I will very quickly say, holding handling a needle is not the advanced skill. Honestly, I don't even think it's what reduces the risk the most. It's knowing anatomy, it's knowing um, musculoskeletal management, neuromyofascial anatomy and management in general. Uh, because I've been on the other side of, of what you've discussed. I have been part of task force committees where you take the acupuncture curriculum and the DPT, the physical therapy curriculum. And just like you said, we can go through and uh, I can talk about all of the credit hours, all of the training that and the clinical experience that I have as a PT. And you just, you did the same for acupuncture. But our task as the dry needling work group was to say, okay, we're only going to take courses that apply to safety with the needle. So that's not saying necessarily needle handling, it's saying anatomy, obviously that's important. Musculoskeletal management, obviously that's important. And which means on the acupuncture side, you do throw out uh, tongue diagnosis, herbal, herbal, uh, anything that wouldn't apply directly to safety with the needle. And on the PT side, you throw out everything else, uh, critical, um, sorry, the stats class, clinical stats, I mean, throw out things that aren't directly related to safety with the needle. Um, and I'll just tell you, again, I'm on the other side of the microphone, when you just boil it down to safety aspects with a needle in the educational program, so I'm not saying the, the supervised hours afterwards, uh, the physical therapy doctorate surpassed that of an acupuncturist. And again, that was, that was our analysis. Uh, that was our, our sample size, our N of one. Again, fully saying, fully admitting that education state to state is different for acupuncture. So I'm sure you could drop a curriculum on my table that says, yeah, 3000 hours holding a needle. And obviously hold, uh, that many reps with a needle is important. I mean, when we take a level one dry needling course, first of all, again, from my uh, organization, my institution specifically, level one musculature, we, we take the, the more basic, the lower risk profile muscles and that's level one. We're trying to reduce the risk as much as possible. Is the risk ever gonna be zero? No, I mean, uh, if you want actual stats, there's large uh, cohort European data from uh, Britain and from Ireland looking at physical therapists using a needle. One has 10,000 practitioners, one has 30,000 treatment sessions, both looking at severe adverse events and nominal 0.01% or less than 0.04%, depending on what statistical analysis you wanna to go to. So um, obviously it's something I feel strongly about as well. Uh, I think I can agree on a few things. Like I mentioned, there is a skill gap. I don't think PTs without advanced training should think they can needle because there's an advanced skill. There's a higher risk profile, it's invasive. Um, but I actually do, and obviously it's because uh, I'm on the physical therapy side, but again, honestly, I've seen, let's say an average of, excuse me, 15 to 20 participants on 150 courses my personal sample size is two to 3,000 practitioners watching them take a level one course, coming into a course having never done a needle, needling procedure, and based on their physical skills of palpation, their knowledge of anatomy, uh, I do see that 27 hours as being sufficient as an entry level on a specific subset of anatomy to be safe with a needle. So, I think those are both sides of the coin. Uh, I don't know if I said anything that you'd like to respond to, but uh, I think this is this is a uh, a pillar 
and probably one that gets the most emotional. Uh, again, if you picture legal uh, proceedings or even legislative, uh, the, the training aspect. And yeah, it's, it's one that I guess I'm left with not knowing how best to respond. Uh, <laughs> I not my intent. I've actually tried to get this information. Uh, so we have a major uh, malpractice carrier that the majority of acupuncturists go with, and I have tried to get information from them regarding um, incidents with needles, and they will not share it. Um, and I don't know if there is a way to have one malpractice insurance communicate with another malpractice insurance and compare those. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and I would say in some ways, uh, well, first, I want to absolutely acknowledge uh, physical therapists have a much better biomechanical understanding than acupuncturists, hands down. Um, one reason why I like working with the physical therapist that I do is whenever I get stuck, I can say, go see her, and she figures it out. I mean, I mean, she she can go through a system of evaluations and know what muscles need to be targeted. Um, and a lot of times can say, hey, next time they're in, make sure you target these areas. And, and, and that's been a great relationship. And, um, so absolutely acknowledge that the anatomy is a huge component of it. And um, I wish that more acupuncture programs, and again, uh, the one I went to was heavy in anatomy and physiology. Um, it was coming to Colorado that I realized that not everybody goes through that. Um, I wish that we had better anatomy and physiology. Um, I wish that more people understood how to do manual muscle testing and orthopedic testing, even if we can't document it in our notes, because again, it is crucial um, to making sure that the treatments are safe. Um, but as far as the data, um, I wish that it was more available. I wish that it wasn't something that was protected by the malpractice carriers. I don't understand why it should be, but I would love for, you know, better or for worse. And it very well may be that, you know, PTs are, are less likely to cause an injury than acupuncturists, but would love to have that solid data to, to say one way or another. Yeah, and um, CNA and HPSO, like I said, uh, release annual reports. So um, I don't know if that's, it's obviously not the insurer you're talking about, but yeah, it should, should be data. I mean, for the betterment of a profession, uh, it's valuable data to see practice patterns, but also a risk profile. Um, so to, to make it, I mean, not more personal, but I mean, on the, the PT acupuncture debate, sometimes uh, I'll just say on the PT side, people just accuse acupuncturists as being so assertive or uh, emotional about the topic, almost uh, on the business aspect, like fear of losing patients, essentially, whether it's directly patient seeing them or just, I've heard the argument that uh, a a potential patient that has a negative experience dry needling with a PT is going to be less likely to see an acupuncturist. Um, so I'll toss you the question. You can go big picture or honestly, I mean, you've been in Colorado, which uh, PTs have been needling. Uh, it's one of the longest established states in the US, I, I believe. So to answer the question, since PTs have been allowed to dry needle, has it or how has it impacted your specific practice? And I guess, do you have any insight or specific examples about um, kind of the aspect I mentioned, just PTs needling having, I guess, positive or negative impact on your profession or your personal practice? And that's gonna be a little bit hard to say. Um, as you mentioned, uh, PTs have been needling in Colorado for a long time, long before I was even 
licensed here and practicing here in Colorado. So it would be hard for me to say. Um, I would say that um, one of the things that is difficult is some of the misinformation um, that is being presented. And, you know, again, I'm an acupuncturist that specializes with doing more of the orthopedic or sports medicine field. Um, one of the studies that was recently uh, released was regarding acupuncture versus dry needling uh, for carpal tunnel syndrome. And the acupuncture point that was picked was LI11. LI11 is not a point that I pick <laughs> ever to treat carpal tunnel syndrome. I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. The needling depth was, um, I believe, five millimeters. Um, the indications for, like textbooks indications for LI11 do not include anything that would relate to carpal tunnel type syndromes. Um, and the needling depth is to one to one and a half inches for that point. And so what I see and what I have people coming in and talking to me is like, hey, look, there's this study that says that dry needling is superior to acupuncture for carpal tunnel. So I have carpal tunnel. Don't do that acupuncture. I want you to dry needle me. And so from somebody who is uh, licensed as an acupuncturist, I, I understand that what they want is something that is more muscle specific. Um, a lot of times I get the athletes that they want to feel that muscle twitch uh, sensation. Um, and so that communicates to me a little bit more of what style or techniques to use with them. Um, but I, I would say that some of that is uh, the frustration of the misinformation. Um, you know, there's a lot of times there's um, an oncology uh, PT that's talking about lymphatic drainage and they publish their, their um, studies and say, you know, this is not the first time that dry needling has been used in lymphatic drainage, but then they're citing an acupuncture study, um, a study that never references dry needling, and they use that to validate that this is something that's been around for lymphatic drainage for a long time. And then they discredit the acupuncture, and this is a specific person in their slides, and they're one of the ones that say, look, this is a non-science-based medicine. It's a traditional medicine, um, but dry needling is effective for lymphatic drainage, and then they reference acupuncture studies to build their credibility for it. Um, so as far as whether or not patients and Honestly, I don't know how PTs feel about this, but I have dry needling as one of the options that my patients can select for treatment options. Um, for me as a provider, again, that just tells me what type or, you know, do they need some relaxation time or are they more that, you know, I'm getting in, getting out, needly, manual work, tape me, get me on my way. Um, so personally, I would say, there's time that goes into the explanation of some of these studies that compare acupuncture versus dry needling. Um, whether or not I have lost patients because of it, I, I, I maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not hoping that. It's just, again, I'm, and not putting all of the acupuncture words in your mouth. I'm just trying to get all of our sound bites in, like all of the questions and challenges that come up on social media, I'd like to give a, a voice to. Uh, and I fully agree. I actually know the carpal tunnel research you're looking at uh, or you're referring to, and um, not just that study, but on either side of the aisle, dry needling or acupuncture. Uh, this should apply to all research, quite honestly, but I think dry needling very specifically, uh, you can't make a conclusion based on the title uh, or even the abstract. I mean, that specific, the carpal tunnel research uh, I don't, I didn't take the conclusion as dry needling outperforms acupuncture, uh, even though that was the headlighting title. If you read the methods uh, and on social media, uh, acupuncturists jumped in and said the exact same thing you did is that was, that would not be the 
the approach for carpal tunnel and acupuncture. So in that context, you have to appreciate dry needling was essentially better than a needle control in my mind. They put a needle in uh, a remote in a random point and dry needling outperformed it. So I, I think you have to be really careful on both sides. Um, and even does acupuncture research apply to dry needling? That's a common question. Um, to take your answer from earlier, sometimes. <laughs> and again, if you have to read the methodology, how deep were they? Well, if they're using eSTEM, were they generating a motor response? What was the intensity? What was the duration? Um, and then what were they looking at for findings? Uh, because I, I, if I haven't said it yet, I probably should have started with it. Like I, I see high value in acupuncture as a technique, as a profession. Uh, my wife gets acupuncture and she has seen improvements um, in, and we're not even just talking sports medicine and pain, uh, fertility, allergies. That's, that's uh, something that she has noticed uh, benefit from. And that's something I can't provide, but uh, there's value in acupuncture and um, the research side. I do agree with your caution that uh, you have to be fair, first of all, but you have to be thorough in your analysis as far as the methodology. Um, but yeah, I, I actually think this is owning a, a product company, but also uh, being a clinician in my mind, uh, I hope that our professions get to a point of mutual agreement and kind of interdisciplinary, not even agreement, but just rapport. Um, because I see any type of non-pharmaceutical, non-surgical uh, healthcare alternative as highly important. And I honestly think if needling therapies are recognized, which they are becoming more mainstream in sports medicine and physical therapy for sure, uh, in my mind, just the business aspect of it is a high tide typically floats all boats. So sometimes I hear these individual acupuncturists uh, saying they lose patients either because they started going to a PT or they had a bad experience, but just in general nationally, uh, and that's why I'm trying to see if it fits uh, Colorado because the sample size is larger. Um, there should be a, a benefit mutually. And it's not even trying to say we're all trying to get more patients and make more money. Uh, there's, there's business aspects to it. But honestly, I mean, the data we know from uh, the Fritz research is that 80% of people are going to experience back pain at some point. And unfortunately, 7% of them see non-medical, non-surgical healthcare. So that's, that's us, that's physical therapy, chiropractic, acupuncture. So that's tough. I mean, 80% and then 7% actually look elsewhere aside from their doctor that will give them surgery or medication. So, in, uh, I mean, not that words I have or efforts I can endorse are going to improve this, but uh, we honestly need to stop fighting over the 7% and figure out how, how to expose more of that 80% to everything. Um, and I mean, that starts to sound a little too kumbaya, but that's, that's the real, that's the reality of our healthcare system. And again, I, I don't know systemically how, how to make changes to make that happen, but, but that's the real rub here. And I do think eventually conversations like this, um, even I guess legislative efforts at some point together, uh, I think we can get there. Well, and to reiterate some of the things that you said, um, 
again, I have to hand it to your profession as being able to market and get this notoriety out there. I, I think that because physical therapists um, doing dry needling, I have more people uh, considering it as, as an option. And as much as we fight, then that also gets it in the news and it starts getting people talking. Um, but I do think that there is more acceptance about the procedure, um, you know, getting needled or these non-pharmaceutical um, approaches to pain or, or um, lack of health. Um, and I think that we have to credit the Physical Therapy Association for a lot of that promotion. Um, from my last count, and it might have changed, but from my last count, there are more physical therapists doing dry needling in Colorado than we have licensed acupuncturists. Um, there's some frustration that um, for Colorado and for some other states, uh, physical therapy is considered a essential health benefit, so everybody is covered, and so insurance patients are generally able to utilize needling through a physical therapist when they can't through an acupuncturist. Um, but again, I think that there has been a lot of publication, there has been a lot of exposure about how needling can help patients that we have to credit to the Physical Therapy Association profession. Uh, I accept your, just kidding, I have nothing to, I have nothing to do with that, but, but I agree. And honestly, um, we're obviously focusing on this one topic, one technique of acupuncture. Um, physical therapist, I'll just tell you, like we've been similar battles and we have been uh, mismatched. I mean, when you talk about going against the AMA and even in some states, acupuncture, I mean, it's, it's tough because the organization does help and, and matter. And honestly, the strength in numbers is uh, it's when it comes down to legislative efforts, uh, it's important. Um, and I guess that's kind of leading in, we keep talking legal legislative, um, not to air all dirty laundry, but I've personally been party to lawsuits from acupuncturists. Again, I own a needling company, I, which means I've done demonstrations. I've physically brought needles to conferences and that sort of thing. Uh, and it seems like, again, not saying it's you, just there are um, efforts out there to just find every opportunity to file a lawsuit, file a complaint, make it very legal. Um, and honestly, that's been going on for a while. Uh, the company I teach for has gone through multiple lawsuits, just teaching courses. Um, so not even specifically getting into like this single practitioner in this state should or shouldn't be needling, but um, I mentioned the North Carolina lawsuit. Just it, It's a very expensive, exhaust, exhausting endeavor. Uh, and honestly, I've read voices, editorials in acupuncture today. I've had conversations um, with people in the acupuncture arena that are frustrated with the amount of time, the amount of money and resources that have been devoted nationally to battling physical therapists on dry needling. Um, we mentioned Colorado has had dry needling since 1995 is what I've been told. And there was even a recent, a few years ago, a challenge from acupuncturists. Um, so I, I guess I'll ask your, your feelings on that just uh, the efforts legislatively, legally, uh, and I guess the internal climate of acupuncturists and the digging in, devoting to this battle against physical therapists, state to state or nationally using dry needling. Well, and 
so this is going to be a response that is not going to be popular, I think, for either profession. Um, but I think that, uh, one, the acupuncturists have to own what they have done. Um, but I think more importantly, it's that uh, the lack of the communication between the two professions. Um, when we have worked within our scope of practice as far as AccuDetox, um, um, mental health providers wanted to be able to do a specific technique that involved the ear, um, five points, um, and they wanted that to be available. Um, that is something that we discussed, and it was put into our practice act that mental health providers can do this specific technique um, so that there is more patient access for things like addiction and, and, and etc. And I think one of the biggest issues that have happened between our two professions is that we have not included the other party in the discussion um, that whatever was considered appropriate for training was developed by one side without consulting the other or consulting the other and then just blatantly ignoring <laughs> those suggestions. Um, so, uh, you know, we have other organizations, you know, chiropractors. And again, part of this gets into the issue that, you know, we're calling it acupuncture. And so that still credits acupuncture for the treatments that they're giving. But, you know, chiropractors, um, they have their national organization for um, getting credentialed, the, the American Board of Chiropractic Acupuncture. And for physicians, they have the American Academy of Medical Acupuncture. You know, they have these boards, these national associations. If you want to be credentialed to do these needling techniques, you go through this program um, and you get certified and it still acknowledges what acupuncture has done um, for them to be able to do these techniques. And then I think between our two professions, um, saying that dry needling is completely distinct and separate from acupuncture, um, that there is not a national organization, we don't have to do that national testing or accreditation, we are fine to develop our own hours um, and then have such a discrepancy of even between those other boards. And again, dry needling uh, from the physical therapy perspective is not acupuncture. And so it doesn't need those same number of hours. Um, but, you know, 300 hours versus, you know, again, a three-day weekend course. And that, even that discrepancy for other professionals to get that certification. Um, but again, I think most of it has been that lack of professional communication um, one state association, one chapter um, coming in and saying, this is what we want to be able to do. Um, let's come to some type of agreement where you may not be happy with the fact that we're doing it, but at least we don't have this infighting, these lawsuits. Um, I think that, and again, it's uh, acupuncturists have to take credit for what they've done as well. Um, I think that that lack of communication has really been the frustration. And Again, people on both sides are sick of it. Um, I was with the state board um, during that time when uh, it became part of the legislation for physical therapists in Colorado to be able to do dry needling. Um, and the conversations that happened at that time were emotional and frustrating and there was no professional courtesy um, being exhibited to either side. I agree, <clears throat> and that's been my exposure as well. So I echo almost everything you said, is that there has to be more communication, better communication. And again, I'd like to think in my kumbaya world that at some point we can. I mean, more formal discussions than a podcast, but having a similar like uh, 
mutual respectful conversation. We've, I mean, we've attempted that in Washington, uh, not just like in the formal setting of a legislative hearing, but mediated uh, our lobby, our, our association sitting down together. And it's, um, it, it, it can get disrespectful, but it's just, it, it, it's not productive. It's there, there's no movement forward. Um, and it's, it is frustrating. So I echo everything you just said in, in my own state. Um, and I guess I should have acknowledged like to the point, normally we keep things pretty brief. <laughs> uh, this one I knew was not gonna be short. So first of all, again, I appreciate your time, uh, willingness to be here, but like sticking around to have this long conversation. Uh, if I may throw you just one more question and it's fairly open-ended. Um, everything we've discussed uh, and we've given our differences of opinion personally and professionally. Um, do you think acupuncturists and PTs or just dry needling rehab professionals can go coexist? And I guess I'll just ask you, like, what would your message be either to your lobby acupuncture or yourself as an acupuncturist speaking to rehab professionals out there that are either needling or uh, interested in needling? What's kind of what would your final message be as we wrap up here? Well, and again, I think that one, we have to acknowledge the um, legitimacy that has been brought to the procedure of needling, whether we're calling it acupuncture or dry needling, that has been brought to that procedure from physical therapists. Um, the research, the um, the different types of styles, and uh, you know, we, we have to acknowledge that there has been a significant contribution that's been done by the Physical Therapy Association. Second, and I'm speaking to other acupuncturists or people that are frustrated from the dry needling perspective, we have to acknowledge what is allowable within the scope of practice. I can be quite upset that PTs are doing dry needling in Colorado, but it is literally state law. So I can't get mad at a physical therapist what is literally within their scope of practice to do. And I mentioned this at the beginning, I, I work in a facility with a physical therapist that does dry needling. I have tremendous respect for it. We share patients for it. And so I do believe that can happen. And as much as it can be frustrating for the amount of time that we have put into our education to distinguish that this is something that we can do effectively and professionally, um, when another medical professional is working within their scope of practice, we have to allow them that. Um, we need to give them the respect that they have gone through the procedures to be able to do that safely and effectively. We need to give them the respect they are literally helping people that may not have uh, the opportunity to have these techniques done. So um, absolutely, we need to have that professional courtesy to other people. If somebody doesn't like it, then they can get involved legislatively. They can have these conversations where they're reaching out to their state PT board or starting to develop those conversations. Um, but we need to respect each other as providers um, coming from a place where we're all trying to help our patients get better. We all want them to have the best possible outcomes. Um, and so I think that that professional courtesy needs to be there even when you don't agree. Um, so I guess that's my kumbaya <laughs> moment. Man, well, I completely respect that. And thank you for landing the plane where it should land, which is uh, all of us out here are trying to help our patients. And I mean, if we keep that as a focus, I think maybe the conversations become uh, easier but uh, yeah, I, uh, I really like that message. And I would honestly say the same thing to my side. I mean, 
uh, honestly, it services no one. It doesn't help patients. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help the profession um, to get emotionally about this. I mean, to get aggressive about it. I think when you look at just, um, again, the single focus of helping a patient, but just the um, take the aggressiveness, the emotion out of it, uh, because that conversation will never go anywhere. And unfortunately, you and I have had that, uh, that's been our exposure, even, you know, in pretty political, like uh, pretty formal settings. But I do think there's a path forward. Um, I don't know the answer, but I'd like to say thank you for joining. And I think it's conversations like this um, that, you know, we can start to take steps forward, just understanding each other, each side of, of the microphone or each side of the aisle. Um, I really hope this stirs up conversations, whether it's like on our social media directly or just out in the community or in different states and in different settings. Um, not necessarily trying to get on and, and uh, uh, aggressively challenge and, or, or change each other's minds. It's, it's giving uh, an accurate, um, I, I guess, accurately portraying the discussion. I'm not, I'm losing my words here. It's been an hour, but uh, uh, I do think when you don't involve the other side in the conversation, you naturally guide yourself to hearsay and just this internal um, communique that might not be accurate. And honestly, it becomes less and less respectful. So I don't think we'll get to that mutual respect until we keep having, continue to have more of discussions just like this. Um, but yeah, don't mean to extend this further because honestly, uh, that is my last question. Um, I, I really do like sincerely, I think it's, um, you're a very well-read, highly qualified practitioner, the, exactly the kind of person I wanted to have on here. And I think it was uh, a classy move to accept the invitation because um, I'm not sure uh, any acupuncturist would have. Honestly, I don't know. If I was trying to picture it the other way around, if I randomly got invited onto an acupuncture podcast, I'd probably hesitate for a second and, and wonder if I would do it or not. <laughs> so I fully uh, respect you taking the time and just being willing to have this conversation. Um, and I guess if it does stir up some, some social media, uh, you can follow Scott at, uh, at Prolo Den on Instagram. Is that correct? P-R-O-L-O-D-E-N? Correct. Yep, that is correct. Um, and he said he's intending to bone up the social media platform, but uh, maybe help him out. Give him uh, some likes, some follows, get a conversation going. But uh, we'll obviously tag you when we launch this this podcast. And uh, I do hope this opens up conversation. Uh, and even if if you've listened this far and you do want to jump into the conversation, uh, let's use this as an exercise to be respectful and be um, just have a professional communication that that doesn't get as uh, tense as it typically does. But Scott, uh, I want to thank you again. Any final words before we jump off? No, and again, just want to say thank you for having me. Um, I'm, uh, I was a little bit hesitant at the beginning. I was a little bit nervous as we both had those conversations. But, you know, again, I appreciate you having me here. I appreciate you having this platform where we can have this discussion. And, you know, again, we didn't agree on one point. We didn't solve all the problems. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you having me here and, uh, you know, letting me give my side of the things. And, uh, um, yeah, appreciate it. Exactly. Next episode, we'll solve all the problems. This was just an introductory. <laughs>
All right, folks. Well, that is the end of this episode. Um, we will have uh, weekly episodes for two more weeks after this, which will kind of close out our summer schedule. We will be back in 2021, but we'll take a little break. So if you're on our YouTube channel, you can actually see um, the, the video recording, the Zoom recording, but otherwise we are on all the podcast platforms. So Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast. Uh, if you're on Instagram, there's a link in our profile. So thank you for listening. Um, thank you again, Scott, and we'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.